The Super Bowl is set after a pair of great conference championship games. But what can the Jets learn from the four teams that played yesterday? We'll talk about it on today's episode of the Locked On Jets podcast. You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Jets podcast for Monday, January 31st, 2022. I'm your host, John B. from GangGreenNation.com, and thank you for making this show your first listen every day. After a classic divisional round, which saw four excellent games, it seemed like a lot to ask for us to get a pair of great conference championship games. But the NFL delivered yesterday. The Bengals overcame an 18-point deficit to eliminate the Chiefs in overtime, ending Kansas City's two-year run atop the AFC, and the Rams in their second chance, because you have to remember, three weeks earlier, they had a chance to eliminate the 49ers the last game of the regular season and blew a 17-point lead. But in their second chance, they overcame a 10-point fourth-quarter deficit and advanced to the Super Bowl. So Super Bowl 56 will be the Rams against the Bengals. It will be the, the second time in Super Bowl history that a team will be playing the big game in its home stadium. Of course, the first was last year with Tampa Bay, but this will be the first time that you'll have a full stadium for the big game with one of the teams playing on its home field. Of course, last year, attendance was very limited, so that'll be an interesting dynamic to see. On today's show, I want to talk about the four teams that played yesterday, because I feel like I've learned some lessons from the way they've operated, from some of their team-building strategies, from some of the ways they've emerged over the last few years, and I want to discuss some of the lessons that I've learned. So that's going to be the topic of today's show. And I'm going to begin by talking about one of these teams specifically, and that team is the Rams, because I think the Rams have taken a very interesting path in building their roster. Now, of course, they famously have lacked first-round picks for years and years and years. They have gone on a long stretch and will continue to have a long stretch where they will not have a first-round pick. I think this has led some people to mistakenly say they don't care about the draft. Now let's look at the picks that they've made over the last few years. They've been one of the best drafting teams in the NFL, but it's also undeniable that they have been very aggressive in the trade market. And that's something I've grown to appreciate. And I think this is maybe something I've underestimated, the value that can be there in the trade market. Because Every year I talk about free agency, and I'm always hesitant in free agency. The reason for that is the truly elite players don't hit free agency in the NFL. The guys who are the game-changing players, you know, the LeBron Jameses of the NFL, they very, very, very rarely hit free agency. Now, once they do, you should go after them with everything you've got. But the guys who hit free agency in the NFL are really more the second-tier type of guys. They're the players who just aren't really good enough to get paid for the most part, or they're coming off a serious injury. It's very rare that one of the truly, truly franchise-altering talents hits free agency, because more often than not, they sign an extension with their original team. And the reasons for that are many. I think that there are two big influences in keeping players with their original team. The first is the threat of the franchise tag, because the original team has a chance to keep a player from hitting the market, even if they don't agree on a long-term deal by giving that player the franchise tag. But the second is just the nature of the game. Football, more than any other sport, is one where players are susceptible to career-altering injuries. So if a team comes to you and offers you big money, 
the type of money that sets you up for life, you're more apt to take it rather than risk an injury that could destroy your market value. I mean, how many times do we see it? A player suffers a serious injury in the NFL and is never the same. That doesn't really happen in the other sports. At least it doesn't happen as frequently. So in the instances where there is one of these franchise-altering talents and they just can't agree and they're ready to move on from their team, usually what happens is if they change teams, they don't do it through free agency. They do it through a trade because the original team says, well, we got to get something in return for this guy. And the Rams have done a great job taking advantage of that. And that's one of the biggest reasons that they have lacked first-round picks through these years because they've traded a lot of their first-round picks for players. But these have been players who are franchise-altering players. Now, there was there have been a couple that have kind of misfired. I mean, I think Brandon Cooks, he had a good season with the Rams. I'm not sure that giving up a first-round pick for him, though, was really the right move. But you look at the other players that Rams have traded first-round picks for, and they're they're not just premium players. The premium players are premium positions. They gave up two first-round picks for Matthew Stafford, a guy who's an elite quarterback in, in my book. I've always thought I always thought Matthew Stafford was underappreciated in Detroit. He was never the problem in Detroit, and I guess maybe this is this view has been vindicated by the fact he's taken the Rams to the Super Bowl in his first year. But another player they traded a pair of first-round picks for is Jalen Ramsey, who's an elite-level cornerback. So I look at this team and the way they've been built. And listen, it's not fair to say that they don't care about the draft. They have nailed draft picks. I mean, you're telling me the team that drafted Cooper Cup doesn't care about draft picks? And they've added a lot of quality players. They've added some good role players. They've added some good starters through the draft. And if you go back far enough, they drafted Aaron Donald. So they've also added some star-level players. But they've really been aggressive in the trade market. And one of the things that happened in the NFL back in 2011 when the new collective bargaining agreement came into place is teams got very hesitant to trade draft picks for players. And I think a lot of that is the rookie wage scale because the price of a draft pick went way down, which means the value you could get from hitting on a draft pick went way up. And for years, teams were very, very hesitant to trade picks for players. I mean, you go back to 2013, the Jets got a first-round pick and a conditional three, which turned into a four for Darrell Rivas, who at the time was the best corner in the NFL maybe the best defensive player in the NFL, not named J.J. Watt at that time. Now, there were some complications. Rebus was coming off a serious injury. His contract situation was not great, but teams just would not. This actually, I think, in retrospect, and this is something I missed at the time, but this kind of turned into a market inefficiency. Now, there are always conflicts when you trade a player. There are things to consider. You're getting proven production opposed to a draft pick, which you're not really sure what you're getting, you're kind of projecting. Obviously, when you trade for the player who's more established, he's going to be more expensive than the draft pick. So these are all factors you have to consider, and you have to consider the point of the cycle your team is at. But I think the Rams have really kind of hit on some of the market inefficiencies in trading draft picks because, yes, they've been very good rounds 2, 3, 4, you know, and beyond. They've been, Again, they've been one of the best drafting teams in the NFL. But is a top corner, maybe the best corner in the NFL, worth two first-round picks? He really is, I mean, when you think about it. And I think there's been a hesitation to deal picks for somebody like that, or if you look a franchise quarterback. I mean, honestly, if you look at the role Stafford had in getting this team to the Super Bowl, they probably underpaid for him. I mean, a couple first-round picks and a three for a top-ten quarterback. So I think that's something to keep in mind for the Jets as we head into this offseason. Now, we don't know exactly who's going to be available, but the Jets have an excess of early picks. So they can even trade with a pick or two. It's still be in pretty good shape as far as draft capital goes. And I always think you want to be balanced. I think 
you don't want to pass up opportunities that present themselves in the trade market, but you want to make sure you have enough picks to continue to have a flow of young talents, young, inexpensive talents coming into your roster. And the Jets are in good position with four top 40 picks that if they want to get involved in the trade market, that's something they could do pretty easily. Now, ahead here on the Lockdown Jets podcast, I'll continue to talk about some of the lessons I've learned from the four teams playing yesterday. We're going to talk about how important it is to fill needs at the weakest positions as we approach the offseason. And if you have a need for a great-tasting protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, let me tell you about Built Bar. Now, we're at the end of January, and this is the point of the year where maybe you're getting a little hesitant about keeping that New Year's resolution. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to it because it tastes so good that you want to eat it. And not only is Built Bar great tasting, it's healthy. The bars are covered in 100% real chocolate, but most Built Bars contain only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Just compare that to a candy bar, which has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. And there are so many great flavors to choose from. You got coconut almond, peanut butter brownie, raspberry, cookies and cream, salted caramel, mint brownie, and so many more. In fact, Built is always coming out with new limited-time flavors, so check out Built.com often to see what's new. And while you're at Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, that's one word with those base, L-O-C-K-E-D, number one, number five, and get 15% off your order. Again, it's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built, B-U-I-L-T, dot com. Thanks again for making Locked On Jets your first listen every day. Today I'm talking about lessons that can be learned from the four teams who played in the conference championship games yesterday. In the first segment, I talked about the way the Rams have utilized the trade market to add some key places, taking advantage of what perhaps is a market inefficiency. In the second segment, I want to talk about a broader concept. Now, I think when we begin the offseason, we always look at the places where your team is weakest. What positions are the worst on your team? And listen, that's a very valid thing to look at when you head into the offseason, because in an ideal world, you fix that. But I think sometimes we overlook that you can also improve your team by making an area that's okay or an area that's even very good stronger. You can make a strength stronger. You can make an area that's just decent stronger. And maybe the best example of this is the Cincinnati Bengals. Because heading into the draft last year, there was a lot of talk about whether they should draft Panay Sewell, the tremendous tackle prospect out of Oregon, or whether they should draft Jamar Chase, who, of course... They did take and had chemistry with Joe Burrow going back to their days at LSU. And there was a thought out there that because the Bengals were weaker on the offensive line than they were at wide receiver, that the right move was taking Sewell. Now, who knows how things will turn out in the long run? And it may be that either player was the right move, but I don't think you can say that they were wrong taking Jamar Chase. In fact, I think you'd have to say they look pretty good taking Jamar Chase after the year Chase had. They're not in the Super Bowl without Jamar Chase. Now, heading into the draft last year, you could say, well, they're pretty good at wide receiver. They have T. Higgins, who obviously had a very good season this year. They had Tyler Boyd, who's a solid receiver. You could have looked at it and said, you know, they're okay at wide receiver. They're really weak on the offensive line. They should obviously take an offensive lineman. Well, as it turns out, taking a strength and making it stronger put the team in the Super Bowl. I think you could make that argument. Now listen, their offensive line obviously needs work. I think anybody who watched them play in that divisional round game against Tennessee saw that that's not a complete offensive line. And quite frankly, I think the Bengals making it to the Super Bowl this year is a bit of a mirage. 
not from the standpoint that they're heading in the wrong direction. This is clearly a team that's made good moves. They're moving in the right direction. But this was a team that was 10-7 and during the regular season, and they were middle of the pack defensively. This was just a year where there was no great team in the AFC. I mean, the, tit- the Titans were the number one overall seed in the conference. And if you look at recent NFL history, they probably had one of the weakest resumes. They may have had the weakest resume in recent memory of number one seeds. So this was kind of a year where there was no great team. And that shows you that you got to take advantage when you have that opportunity. And the Bengals were able to take advantage in part because they took a strength and made it stronger. And there are some other examples you can point to. Now, this is not the greatest example because I don't think this guy has been quite as good as they were hoping for, but you look at the way the Chiefs have built their team, and even though they have offensive weapons left and right, they are never afraid to continue adding weapons. They're never, con- they're never afraid to continue adding another guy they think can make their offense a little bit more dynamic. Look at a couple of years back when they took Nicole Hardeman in the second round. Now, again, he may not be as great as they were hoping he'd be, but he really came on along the end of the year. It's always about just adding to what you have. Now, I know there are some people out there who are going to say, well, this proves that you need dynamic playmakers at the wide receiver position. Maybe what this shows is that you need to constantly be adding wide receiver. And that's not a bad point. Listen, there's no doubt that Jamar Chase is one of the biggest reasons the Bengals are going to the Super Bowl. And you look at all the weapons Patrick Mahomes has, they've certainly helped in his development. But I think the bigger lesson here is that you can't always just look at team building and improving your roster as only addressing the key points. Will the Bengals need to improve their offensive line going forward? Absolutely. I mean, that's the difference between a 10-7 and team and a team that's a little bit better going forward. But you never pass on an opportunity to improve your roster. And you have to think not only in terms of what position am I weakest at, you should also think about how does this specific player improve my team? Does he take a position group that's just okay and make them good? Does he take a position group that's good and make them great? Sometimes these things are lost. I think sometimes teams lose track of this. You look at the draft, there are frequently mistakes made because a team goes in and just decides, you know, we're weak here. We need to draft a player at this position no matter what. And that's a great way to make mistakes. That's a great way to draft poorly. So I think that these are key things to keep in mind as the Jets head into their offseason. Now, head here on the Lockdown Jets podcast, we will close out the show. In our final segment, I'll talk about a few more lessons that can be learned from the four teams that played in yesterday's conference championship games. Now, of course, getting to those games requires you to have plenty of players who have upside. And on that note, let me tell you about an app called GetUpside. It's an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about. My listeners are earning cash back for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now and use promo code TOUCHDOWN for 25 cents per gallon or more on your first fill up cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use promo code TOUCHDOWN for $0.25 cents per gallon or more on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two dollars or $300 a year in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code TOUCHDOWN to get $0.25 cents per gallon or more cash back on your first tank. Again, that's code TOUCHDOWN on using the GetUpside app. This is the Locked On Jets podcast on this Monday, talking about lessons that can be learned from the four teams that played in the conference championship games yesterday, and they were a pair of great games. The Bengals beat the Chiefs in the AFC championship game, 
and the Rams defeated the 49ers in the NFC Championship game, setting up Super Bowl 56 between the Rams and the Bengals a week from Sunday in Los Angeles. You know, you look at these teams, and it's pretty clear that coaching matters a lot, but ultimately it is a player's league. And I think about the early parts of the 10 years Zach Taylor had in Cincinnati and Kyle Shanahan had in San Francisco. Two years ago, Zach Taylor was kind of a laughingstock. People could not believe he was hired. I have to admit, I was as critical as anybody of the hiring of Zach Taylor and how things worked that first year when the Bengals went 2-14. and 14. Well, two years later, they're in the Super Bowl. And you see what a difference it is now that he's got a team to work with, now that he's got talent to work with. Joe Burrow at quarterback, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins at wide receiver. It's a good lesson. And the same could be said for Kyle Shanahan, who had losing seasons his first two years with San Francisco. In fact, the Niners, his first year, started off as one of the worst teams in the NFL. And then they upgraded their quarterback position and finished strong. And then year two, their quarterback got hurt in the early stages of the season. And they had another terrible year. Suddenly, Kyle Shanahan has players to work with, and things get better. So that's a pretty clear lesson. As much as we talk about coaching, and I do think coaching matters, I do think a good coach can make a difference. Ultimately, you're only as good as your talent, because Zach Taylor went from... I'm about to call him Zach Wilson, so I apologize if at some point in this segment I referred to the Bengals coach as Zach Wilson, force of habit. But Zach Taylor went from a guy who was pretty much viewed as an unqualified laughingstock to now a Super Bowl coach. Another lesson at the risk of being obvious is that quarterback matters a lot in this league. We saw how bad Jimmy Garoppolo was in that game, and it was one of the biggest reasons the 49ers lost. We've seen the way Joe Burrow has elevated the Bengals. But consider this. Let's look at how the Rams acquired Matthew Stafford. Now, I talked a little bit about the trade that they made to get him in the first segment, how they gave up a pair of first-round picks and a third-round pick. But there was another component of that, of that trade. That was Jared Goff. The Rams gave up their former quarterback, Jared Goff. And you have to consider how the Rams got Jared Goff because they traded up for him in the 2016 draft. They moved up from the 15th overall pick to the top overall pick to get him. So if you add in what the Rams gave up to get Jared Goff to what they gave up to get Matthew Stafford, you can make a case that to get Stafford, they had to part with four first-round picks two second-round picks, and three third-round picks. And that's adding in the picks they both traded to Detroit for Stafford and the picks they traded for Goff, who was part of that deal. And it was totally worth it. I mean, looking back on it, you sh that shows you how much value a legitimate elite quarterback has in this league. Something to remember, just how important the quarterback position is. And the final lesson that I take from these four teams is just how quickly things can turn around if you have the right people in place. The Rams went from mediocrity under Jeff Fisher to the Super Bowl in two years under Sean McVay, and now they're in their second Super Bowl in McVay's tenure. The 49ers went from a laughingstock to the Super Bowl in about three years under Kyle Shanahan, and they were maybe a couple plays away from going to their second Super Bowl in the Shanahan era. Andy Reid took over the worst team in the league in Kansas City in 2013, and had them in the playoffs in one year. And the Bengals from 2-14 and 14 to the Super Bowl. Now, do I think the Jets should be a Super Bowl team next year. Do I think that's a realistic expectation? No. But the NFL is a league where you can turn around quickly if you get the right people in place. Because I think sometimes we look at these teams the wrong way. We think that every single need needs to be addressed for a team to be credible. That's not the case. You can have a flawed team that goes to the playoffs. You can have a flawed team threatening to make noise in this league. 
adding a few impact players can change everything. And I think sometimes, especially when you've had the struggles the Jets have had, there's a danger of setting your expectation level too low. You're saying, well, we're still a few years away. No team is that far away. you got to bring in impact players. And we should not let Joe Douglas or Robert Sala off the hook if there's not a big improvement next season. Now, does that mean everybody needs to be fired? I'm not necessarily saying that. I'm not necessarily saying everybody needs to keep their job, though, next season if it's a major disappointment. But let's not let our expectations get too low because the Bengals, who themselves are a pretty flawed team, got themselves into the mix. You know, you don't always you don't always need to be a great team to make noise in this league. Are the Bengals really a Super Bowl caliber team? I'm not sure that they're there yet. But sometimes just getting yourself into the playoffs and getting hot at the right time is enough. And you have to be in the playoffs to give yourself a chance to make a run like this. So let's not set our expectations too low for this team. Let's not set our expectations too low for the Jets. Let's not give Joe Douglas and Robert Sala infinite passes. Now listen, I think year one, this was kind of a reset year. Fine. This wasn't a great year, but we can get past it. But going forward, Jets need to improve this roster because they can, if the right moves are made, improvement can and should come very quickly. And if it doesn't, then we need to call them out for that. Anyway, that's all for today's show. Thank you for listening. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, if you enjoy the show, subscribe to it and leave it a good review. I hope you have a great Monday, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow to talk more Jets.